listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Well, today is a big day because we're starting in the book of James. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of James. We're starting a series there and really looking forward to, to walking through this book verse by verse with y'all. Going to be challenging, going to be encouraging. It's going to be great. Now, as you're turning, there's something that you, you may or may not know about uh, the book of James. So like, not a crazy hard question. I'm trying to trick you. Guess who wrote the book of James? James. We got great. Man, we're awesome. Labor Day weekend. You guys are still crushing it. Way to go. Yeah. James wrote the book of James. And actually, James is, or was, I should say, the, the kid brother of Jesus. Yes, like Jesus that we worship. We just sang about the kid brother of Jesus, which I, I'm kind of curious thought, would it be awesome to be the little brother of Jesus? I don't know. Yeah, I see all the troublemakers in the room are shaking their head no. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. Like, the thought of it is kind of cool, but like, how many times did Mary look at James and say, James, why can't you just be more like Jesus? Like, why just can't you do that? Right? That would have been tough. I think about, it made me think of my older sister who was, and still is, like, just a very good, upright person. And I remember even in high school trying to get her to like take her hands off a of 10 and two. She won't do it. Like she just, she's in the zone. But I remember she, when, I don't know how, she must've been in elementary school, but she went to my parents and told them she deserved a spanking. And that, just the thought of her going and telling on herself disgusted me, right? Like, just like, what is wrong with you to, to go to your parents and say you deserve a spanking? I, I'm just going to assume, I'm going to assume one, Jesus didn't get spankings, but I'm going to assume that that James was just annoyed by the perfection of Jesus, right? When your siblings are really, really good, and, it, and if they don't mean to, if it makes you look bad, it's frustrating, it's irritating. But one of the reasons I feel confident that the perfection of Jesus irritated James is that when Jesus, the gospel shows us that when Jesus began his ministry and his uh, preaching and he's performing miracles, the family of Jesus thought Jesus was crazy. James included. Like, what's wrong with Jesus? Has, has he lost his mind? So they at least thought he was crazy. And I think probably as a sibling, he was irritated by it. But it's interesting. That's the background. And again, the gospels make it clear that at least James, when Jesus was performing his ministry, James was not a fan. That's the background. How is it that we get James 1.1, which says this, James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like what transpired, what happened that would cause James to go from the, the younger kid brother of Jesus to saying a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Servant, there's doulos, complete allegiance. Like complete, all in, unadulterated allegiance to Jesus. What would happen like, if you're you know, like a kid in your parents' house, what would happen, what would have to happen for you to say that you are a servant of your sibling and to call them Lord? <laughs> I see some head shaking. No, no way, bro. Like, what would have to happen? 
you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's giving an account. He says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. What happened to James to go from, oh, my brother is Jesus, to my brother is Jesus, the Lord of all? What happened? He saw the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. It changed his life. Like, brother or not brother, at this point, didn't matter to James. He realized Jesus is the one true God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the only hope for mankind. My allegiance is to him. Led James to write this book eventually. James eventually became uh, really the major leader, certainly one of the major leaders, but I would say the major leader in the church at Jerusalem. So as many Christians, excuse me, as many Jews begin to hear the gospel of Jesus, that he had died and risen again for their sins, for our sins, as they believe that they formed a church and, and James kind of rose up into leadership there. But then also the gospel, especially Paul particularly, went and spread the gospel around the nations to the Gentiles. So more Jews in other parts of the world became saved, but also from Jerusalem, as, they, as the Jews who got saved, who are now Christians, experienced persecution from, from other Jews and from Romans, they began to scatter. They began to disperse. That's why then in verse 1, James says, to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. The diaspora is the Greek word, greetings. So it's Christian Jews, believers, who have been scattered abroad throughout the, world, the known world at that time. James is writing to them to encourage them. To, to challenge them in their faith. So a lot of these believers, he knows he has personal relationships with them because he knew them in Jerusalem. And others, he just cares about because he has a shepherd's heart. He cares about Jews who are now getting saved around the world. And he's writing to them about how to live a practical life. Like what it means to, to boots on the ground to practically live out your faith in Jesus. Which by the way, can you think of anyone better to tell us what your faith should look, at, look like day in, day out, at work, at home, than someone who grew up in the same house as Jesus. That's James. He's going to tell us what it looks like to follow Jesus. And kind of the overarching umbrella of so much of this book is this understanding that life is hard. That following Jesus in a broken, sinful world presents hardships, trials, struggles, temptations. It's too bad we can't really relate to hardship and struggles, right? <laughs> no, the Bible is not afraid to talk about real life issues and even the not so fun things, right? Like sometimes life is hard, life is difficult. And so James is going right, to, right out of the gate, he's going to lean into that. What should believers do when life is hard? Like, what, what, what do we need to do? If we're following Jesus, we want to practically live out our faith, what, what do we need to do even when life is hard? So he says in verse 2, he, he jumps in. He says, 
consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. I'll be honest, I think in talking with you guys and knowing myself, it'd be really easy to just write James off in verse two. What I mean is like, just to go ahead and ignore him right here. Like, how callous do you have to be to tell someone, hey, whenever you face hard times, consider it a great joy. Like, that's a good way to get slapped, right? And actually, I would encourage, like, be careful when, like, how you use that verse, like the timing of it. Like, is James just callous? Like, what, what is wrong with him? Has he never experienced a hardship that he would tell somebody, whenever you experience various trials, whenever you, the, the, literally the idea there in the Greek is when, when you fall into something, right? Like, almost like you, you're walking along, and you fall into a pit, you didn't see it. That's how life feels sometimes. You're going along, and then something comes up out of nowhere, and, and you feel like you've fallen into a, a trap, to a struggle, to a pit. But is, is James never had that to tell us to have a great joy? Like, has he never been in elementary school and been bullied to know like the, the pain that causes you? Has he never been in high school and been made fun of because he didn't go to the party? Well, like, was James never a college student that had to move to a new city that's really flat and dusty sometimes, but also awesome? <laughs> and like not have friends and have to figure that out? Has James never had to start a new job and then been terrified of the fact that he didn't have the skills, like realized pretty quickly he didn't have the skills to, to do that job well? Has James never known the pain that parents have when their kids aren't listening and are, are, are rebelling against what God's, the God-given authority that he's given the parents? Does James not know the hardship that grandparents face when they see their friends and their families, their, their loved ones dying and being sick? James just clueless? No, James isn't saying this because he doesn't get it. No, James is saying this because he does get it. I'm not trying to be silly here. Can you imagine, like after, like at the point when James wrote this, so Jesus died, risen again, ascended to the right hand of the Father. Can you imagine the pressure that you would just that you would create on your own in your own heart and mind, and the pressure that other people would put on you as the brother of Jesus. Can you imagine? Like sometimes I, I didn't feel this way at all. Growing, I grew up in a preacher's house, and like I never felt like the whole glass house thing. Like I just, I, I think my parents just did awesome, so I never felt that way. But talk about the glass house feeling like everybody's looking to you to see what you're doing, being the brother of Jesus. That's some pressure. Growing up as a Jew in a Roman culture, persecution, struggle, difficulty. Growing up as a Christian in a Jewish, Jewish culture in Jerusalem, hardship, struggle, trial. James was eventually, history tells us, James was eventually stoned to death by a group of Pharisees because of his faith in Jesus, because he was preaching the gospel. So you know, when we read this, we don't have to go, James, James doesn't get it. James has never been there. You know, you know James gets it. James know what, knows what, knew what, I should say, knew what hardship is. So when he tells us, consider a great joy, he's not speaking about something he knows nothing of. No, he's leaning in saying, hey, friend, listen, consider it a great joy. Whenever you 
experienced various trials. And when he says, consider it a great joy, listen, this is so important. It's like, if you don't walk away with anything else, walk away with this. He's not telling you how to feel. He's telling you how to think. He doesn't say, when life is hard, when you experience a struggle, just make yourself feel happy. That's annoying. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. No, consider it a joy. Make up your mind to, here's our first point today, choose joy when life is hard. Choose joy. Run towards joy in your mind. And here's the cool thing. He gives us a reason why. He doesn't just say, choose joy because God said so, which that would be enough. But he says, listen, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Ah. So it's not just choose joy because I said so. No, choose joy because as your faith is tested, and a clear uh, distinction in the text here, not tested like is it real or not. No, tested meaning it, it makes it more pure. It, it's a, a testing that purifies your faith. As you experience testing, as you experience struggle and trial, whatever that kind of trial may be, it produces endurance. It means that it makes your faith, gives it the ability to stretch a little further. It makes your faith stronger. It makes your faith more stable. It makes your faith able to take a greater hit because you've learned the power of endurance. So he's not saying, choose joy because trials are fun. <laughs> no, choose joy because in that trial, God is doing something in you. See, the, the trial isn't good. What God does in you is good through the trial. So choose joy. God never wastes anything, does he? Like, th there's nothing you've experienced that if you're willing and keep your eyes on Jesus, there's nothing you've experienced that he doesn't want to use to, to produce something good in you. And, and in this context, James already telling us endurance, to make your faith stronger, deeper. I, I have a friend who, his name is Lionel. He uh, is landscape architecture boss. I don't know. He's really good at what he does. And I was asking him about storms and trees, and it's interesting, he said, actually, one of the greatest things for a tree to become well-rooted and strong is a drought. Which here in West Texas, barring the last week or two, we know a thing or two about drought, don't we? <laughs> we do. He says, what can actually help a tree grow stronger, especially in its root structure, is when they experience periods of hardship like drought. This makes them dig deeper until they can tap into a permanent source of groundwater. In fact, those trees have what is called a taproot. It goes straight down. So you've got all these other roots and there's one, the taproot goes straight down to a deeper source of water. It says, ironically, it's the trees and rainforests that have a weak root structure because they never need to go deep for water. Lauren and I got to go to, told you before, we got to go to Costa Rica back in March. It was awesome, 10-year anniversary trip, and 
We got to walk through the rainforest, saw the snakes, it was scary, but I saw exactly what Lionel was talking about. You see these big trees that looked beautiful, but were in the process of dying because they had fallen over because the roots were completely flat. There might have been a lot of roots, but there was no depth to them. Lionel's saying when, when, when life is hard, when it feels like things have dried up, and maybe even like, God, where are you? Did you forget about me? That's how drought can feel, right? God, did you forget where we are in Lubbock? Like, here we are in the map. We need to send you a picture. Like, Google Maps, what's going on here? Did you, do you know where we are? But in that drought, in that struggle, God is causing your faith to dig down deeper into him so that you can handle more. So that when the other struggles and trials of life come, your faith is deeply rooted. It has endurance. It can be stronger because it's experienced hardship. Friends, when life is hard, choose joy. Not because you enjoy pain, because you enjoy being deeply rooted in Jesus Christ. Maybe that's just choosing to fix your eyes on what you know Jesus is doing. So choosing joy, like in a trial, you, you often are not going to know what all God is doing, but you at least know this. <laughs> I may know nothing else, but I do know that God is creating endurance in my faith. He's, he's testing me, he's purifying me, and he's helping my faith to go deeper. Uh, another way I think we choose joy, y'all, is ask God for help. Like, God, in this moment, I, I have no clue what you're wanting me to do. I don't feel like I'm, I'm growing. Lord, I can't see what you're trying to do, but I'm going to trust that you are deepening my faith. You're helping me to, to have endurance. God, would you help me to see it the way you see it? God, would you help me to choose joy, to run towards it. As if that wasn't hard enough, like if choosing joy when life is hard wasn't hard enough, James, being the beast of a man that he is, <laughs> pushes just a little further. He says in verse three, excuse me, verse four, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Let endurance have its full effect. So this perseverance, this steadfastness, this firmness, this holding on, this clinging, let it have its full effect. So he's saying, don't back out. Don't quit early. No, lean in. That's our second point. When life is hard, lean in. Don't push back. Don't give up. No, continue clinging to God, fixing your eyes on him, holding on to him, even when the endurance hurts. You know, you don't think about with endurance, you don't feel the endurance, you feel the pain, right? You ever watched a marathon runner or see them at the end of the race? Like they're enduring, but what you're seeing, the agony on their face is the pain. Even in your faith, when you're enduring, when you're letting it finish its work, when you're letting it have its full effect, it's going to be painful. Like no one is like, oh, I'm enduring right now. This is so fun. No, when you're enduring something, it's painful. But he says, let it have its full effect. So let, if this is passive and active. What do I mean? It's passive and you're letting 
endurance have its work. So recognizing God is the one who's doing this work in me. He's the one who's using endurance to help me be mature and complete, lacking nothing. But it's active and that I have to lean in, right? So the marathon runner who's having endurance, they don't just, they don't stop and sit there and wait for someone to carry them. No, they continue moving on and endurance and running. Endurance is having its work. So they're, they're letting it do its work, but they're also being active by, by not quitting. They lean into the pain. They lean into the hardship. He says, again, he gives us another why. God loves giving us whys because he knows we like to ask why. We're like toddlers. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So this is both dual-sided. This is challenging and encouraging to all of us. This is challenging because it shows us, it's just a little reminder, a little nudge, that none of us have arrived yet. Every single one of us still have things that we are lacking in our faith. None of us are mature or complete yet. So all of us have room to grow in different areas. Maybe it's in boldness. Maybe it's in compassion. Maybe it's in humility. Maybe it's in in, in self-control. All of us have room to grow. Maybe it's in contentment. It's challenging. But here's how it's encouraging. Let endurance have its full effect so you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Notice he doesn't say, yeah, you're lacking a lot of stuff. You're not mature. You're not complete. So here's what you need to do. You need to go work on being bold. You need to go work on being compassionate. You need to go work on having self-control. You need to go work on humility. You need to go work on being content. No, here's what he's saying. Here's how it's encouraging. If you just keep holding on to Jesus, you'll keep leaning into the hardship. As you hold on to him, he will work those things into you. I mean, that's so encouraging to me. He doesn't say, Brandon, oh man, you are a loser. You're so immature in your faith. Get it together. No, he says, Brandon, I'm going to bring some storms, some struggles, some trials your way. If you choose joy, if you'll lean in and cling to me, as you hold on to me, even in that hardship, I will produce in you what you lack. Isn't it amazing? Wife and I were talking about it this week, like how often in our faith, we say we want to grow in certain things, whatever comes to mind for you. We, we want to grow in these various areas. But then as soon as life gets difficult, we play the victim card, right? I can't believe this happened to me. God, do you even care about me? And actually, I think this verse would tell us that God's actually saying, yeah, I care about you. I heard your prayer. You wanted to grow in contentment. And so I brought a little trial for you to experience so you can grow in contentment. Don't despise the storm when in the storm, God is wanting to grow you. It's actually what you've been asking for. It's just not how you thought it was going to be. <laughs> See, often we, we ask for things from God. God, help me to grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things. And we, we envision, I think, God just bringing this gift. And here you go, Brandon. And actually, the gift shows up in the form of a trial and a struggle. <laughs> but in it, he fashions something beautiful in you. Choose joy, lean in. I'm going to ask uh, Meredith, who was playing cello earlier, to come on up. Can we just tell her thank you for being awesome on the cello? Super cool.
she's going to come up, and I, I want to read a, a verse to you real quick while she's coming. This is from Romans 8, 28 through, through 29. Similar thought that Paul has to James. This is Paul in Romans. He says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, how cool is this? It's basically the same thing James is saying. Even in the hardship, God works things for good. And that good is not just you being happy. No, that good is you looking more like Jesus, which is what we should all want as believers. Amen? I love what one friend here on staff said this week. Like, as a believer, the, nothing else should be my greatest purpose, my greatest desire than to know Jesus and to look like him. Like my greatest pleasure should be knowing Jesus and becoming more like him. So because of that, leaning into the hardship, leaning into the struggle. But endurance, <clears throat> endurance often is kind of like learning a new instrument, right? Anybody play an instrument in the room? Get some, yeah. Thanks, David, for raising your hand. That's good. <laughs> he said he plays the triangle. <laughs> it's, it's really gifted. Um, learning instruments can be difficult, particularly a stringed instrument like the, the cello, right? Cello, um, what we have up here. <laughs> and just, just in case you're maybe not aware, there, in some instruments, like the drums, we've got some drummers in here. I see Big Tone over there, drummer. On the drums, the gap between starting and like having something that sounds kind of cool is it, not that big of a gap, right? You can get a little four on the floor, right? You get a little, little beat going, everybody kind of bobs their head, it's okay. Or on the guitar, like anybody learn smoke on the water, on the water for their first little song? Bam, 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 bam. Anybody with me? No? I'm just a loser. Okay. <laughs> I got a few people like, yeah, give me this. Okay, thank you. Yeah. On, on the cello, the gap between starting and, and sounding good it can just be a lot bigger than those other instruments. So when you first start, it, it can often sound like... <laughs> I also think Meredith's so good, she can't sound bad, okay? <laughs> but like, like, so make it sound worse. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, just being super real. I think that, that, that wasn't that bad. <laughs> but, but you get the picture, right? Like if that was going on all day, like if that was your kid playing and you heard that all day from their room, you might eventually start to go a little crazy, right? Like pull some hair or pull their hair one or the other, right? The cello too, it requires endurance um, because you, you got to have calluses. So when you first start playing, which is like guitar, but when you first start playing, you don't have calluses, a little hard part on your skin there. And so it's just painful to, to press the, the string down, right? And Meredith didn't really agree with me on this one, but I, I was telling her when I first started playing guitar, and now I don't, like, don't ever play, so when I do go in Maddox's office and pick up his guitar, my hands want to cramp holding the guitar because it's just been too long. So it's just like the endurance required can be very difficult to learn an instrument. On a cello, you don't have frets to show you where to go like you do on a guitar. Like the piano, at least you have the, the white keys and the black keys, right? Like very specific, I know, but like you have a little guy, you don't have much here. It can take years, years to become somewhat proficient on an instrument like the cello. But if you will lean in, if you will be 
faithful, if you will endure, something beautiful happens. See, even in the hardship, not even in, in the hardship, in the struggle, in the pain, as you endure, you keep pressing on, even though it's hard, even though it's not comfortable, even though it's not fun, God produces in you those things that you lack. And the maturity and skill and ease in following Jesus that you used to not have through that trial, God produces that maturity, those qualities that you did not have before. That boldness, that contentment, that compassion, that humility, that self-control, those things that were missing and <laughs> painful in your life because they were absent. In the trial, God begins to weave them beautifully into your life. So friend, listen. When life is hard, you can choose joy. When life is hard, you can lean in, not because you like pain, no, but because you love your Savior and you know He's good at what He does. That He finishes what He starts in you. So friend, when you find out that your parent has cancer, you choose joy. When you find out that you lost the baby you thought you were going to have, you lean in. When you get the demotion and a big old fat pay cut, you choose joy. When your friends don't want anything to do with you because now you're serious about your faith, you lean in. When you have to break up a relationship that you thought was going somewhere because your family and your friends and your parents are telling you, this is not good for you, this is not healthy, and it hurts, you choose joy. You lean in. When the people, when the person that you love dies and is no longer on this earth, James says you choose joy. You lean in. How can, I, how can I trust Jesus? How can I know that he's good, that he, that he cares for me? Hebrews 12, 2 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus hung to that cross for you to pay for your sins. Jesus knows what hardship is. He's not asking you to enter into any hardship that he hasn't entered into himself so you can trust him. And just as he chose joy, your savior, you can choose joy and lean in. I'm gonna ask Maddox and Allie to come on up. We're gonna enter into a time of response. And if you're a believer, I just wanna ask you, like, is there one of those things that you need to to grab onto today, choosing joy or, or, or leaning in. Or maybe as a believer, God's just asking you to quit running from the trial that you found yourself in, that he's allowed you to walk into, that he's brought you into, and just 
to run to him, even in the hardship. I want to say, if, if you're not a believer, if you don't know Christ, and the cross is proof that he loves you, that he endured the greatest trial the world has ever known. He bore the weight of our sin and shame, the whole world on that cross. And he offers you to come into a relationship with him to salvation. You simply turn from your sin and turn to him. He offers you hope and life and forgiveness. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna sing. And as we sing, there's some folks back at the back. We'll be back at the back that would love to pray with you, love to talk with you about any decisions you have. And if you don't want to talk with someone or pray with someone, as we sing, I'm going to ask you in a second to stand and just make this song time for you to talk with the Lord. God, we love you. We're grateful for your word. Lord, would you change our perspective, our mindset on trials? God, help us to see that the Bible is not giving us some cute little phrase that is devoid of meaning or experience, but Lord, you knew hardship. James knew hardship, and you know you're inviting us to something better by us choosing joy, by us leaning in. God, would you help us to do that trusting and knowing that you love us? And you're growing us so we can trust you. God, would you give us boldness and clarity as we respond right now? It's in your powerful name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 